On today's episode of Hoops from the Hive, we sit down with our good friend Brian Boone and talk about what could be a key to the Hornets' success this season, their fourth quarter defense. Cliff says it a bunch. If we score over 110 points, we have no excuse to, lo- excuse to lose every single night. It's just defensive uh defensive uh, intensity. I just feel like we uh, can bring it every single game if we want to. And then in our featured interview, we sit down with Slam Magazine's Jerome Weitzman to talk about Cody Zeller's development this season. Clifford, the first thing he says is that Zeller has gotten really good. They want to force the guy to go over the pick, force the opponent to go over the pick, and that creates a four-on-three offense because that's kind of triggers the whole offense. That sets the defense into rotation. And Cody apparently has become great at that. All that and much more on Hoops from the Hive. Let's go. This is Hoops from the Hive, podcast for Hornets fanatics. Now, here's your host, Dan Dotson. Greetings, my friends, and I hope you are having a great day. My name is Dan Dodson, and thank you for listening to Hoops from the Hive. This is a podcast for you, the Charlotte Hornets fanatic. Hey, we are the one and only place for the very best of interviews, commentary, analysis, and more on your favorite team, the Charlotte Hornets. It's all Hornets talk all the time. Hey, we're going to dive into our first segment right away. It's something that we call the Fast Five, so let's go. Fast Five. Five questions, five answers, five minutes. The Fast Five is where we examine five questions in five minutes to hit many Hornets uh, issues. The first question that we've got is, Nick Batum's recent scoring surge, something that is sustainable. In eight of the last 11 games, Nick Batum has put up 20 points or more, which is very high for him. and what you're really seeing from Nick is is he is looking for his offense. His field goal attempts are up. He is going to the rim, and, and because of that, he is getting to the foul line, which are quick, easy points for him. Uh, Nick has to continue to be aggressive because teams are really attacking Kimball Walker as the team's number one option. Some things that I see from Nick lately that I really like are, are they're putting him in isolation situations. He's one of the bigger two guards in the league with at 6'8", and, and he's got good length, and he can shoot over smaller defenders. You're seeing them put him in, in kind of a post situation on the wings, and he'll shoot those fadeaways from 15 or 18 feet, and he's really hitting those shots. But to sustain this scoring effort, he's got to go to the rim, and he's, he's getting a lot more free throws. Uh, last night, he shot... I think 15 free throws, uh, which which is great from him. He was 13 of 15 against the Oklahoma City Thunder. So in order for Nick to continue this scoring surge, he's got to be aggressive. Is it sustainable? I don't know. Probably not, get, considering his career. But right now he's on a tear, and that is something that is a welcome addition to the Hornets' offense. 
Our second question is, how big of an impact is Cody Zeller's concussion going to have on this team? Uh, the, ish, the answer to this question is significant. Cody, Cody is a, a very underrated player. We're going to talk about his impact in our featured interview with Yaron Weitzman later in this podcast. But Cody uh, is in concussion protocol right now. He has passed uh, the first test, and he's still got several more to go. Uh, he could be out for uh, an indefinite amount of time. That could be a few games. It could be longer. We don't really know. But uh, Zeller does so many of the small things. He's a hustle guy. He's excellent at attacking the rim. He's a great screen setter. Uh, he gets those rebounds. Uh, the Hornets really need him because you, you can see the offensive movement and flow drop off with Roy Hibbard in the starting lineup. Uh, Roy does some excellent things for the team. He's a good passer. He's a good shot blocker. But he is just so immobile compared to Cody Zeller. The team really needs him back. Uh, I, I hope that they get him because they've got this road trip coming up uh, and they've got some tough opponents coming up here in January. So hopefully Cody comes back soon or else the impact of him being out is going to be very significant for this team. Our third question is, what does the team waving guard Aaron Harrison mean for the future of the franchise. If you did not know, Aaron Harrison was a, uh, a person who was kind of the 15th man on the squad. He was doing very well in the D-League, 6'6 uh, guard out of Kentucky. He was putting up 20 points, uh, five rebounds and three assists in 14 games this season for the Greensboro Swarm. But the Hornets uh, cut him earlier this week and that frees up a roster spot. Uh, so what is exactly does that mean for the team? Um, we don't really know. There's several things coming up that could have an impact. Um, could the Hornets address that that opening through free agency? Could they uh, be making a trade? Uh, we don't really know. Could could they just free it up uh, because of cap space? Uh, coming up here on January 7th, his uh, salary would have become partially guaranteed, which would have been a cap hit for the Hornets. So maybe it was just a money move. But Aaron Harrison cut. Uh, he had a short tenure with the Hornets, only playing in 26 games total for the franchise. Uh, so the Hornets wave guard Aaron Harrison, and now they have a free spot on their roster, and we'll see what they do with it. Next question is Marvin Williams' struggles for the season something that is a sign of things to come, or is he just in a slump? Uh, I, I think this is a sign of who he is. Last year was a career year for Marvin Williams. He played out of his mind for the Hornets. And I, I know revisionist history, you know, hindsight is 2020, of course. I, I really wish in a lot of ways they would have used the free agent money uh, that they spent on Marvin Williams in the offseason to maybe bring back Courtney Lee or Jeremy Lin uh, instead of Marvin Williams. But uh, listen to these stats for, for Marvin this year. Uh, shooting only 38% from the field. Uh, his three-point percentage has jumped up here recently after it was in the low 30s. Now it's back up to 35%, but it, it's still a far cry from where he was last season, putting up career highs. By far, he was shot 40% from three last season, shot 45% from the field, a significant downturns. On the defensive end, Marvin uh, seems a, a step slow. He, he was really a good help side defender last season, putting up a career high in blocks. So uh, the Hornets chose to invest in this guy, in Marvin Williams, and his versatility. He's, you know, he's a big guy. He, he's got good length, and, and he can play multiple positions. But so far, Marvin Williams has really struggled this season, and um, the numbers show it. His output shows it, and um, Maybe, maybe this is a, a, 
a position for Frank Kaminsky to take his minutes. And uh, Frank's just got to be more consistent to take those minutes. But uh, Marvin is really struggling this season, and I hope to see him turn it around. The final item in our Fast Five is what sort of impact could the Hawks' recent trade rumors mean for the Charlotte Hornets and the Eastern Conference? I don't know if you saw some of the reports this week, but uh, there's been talk that the Char- that the Atlanta Hawks, that is, uh, were interested in maybe moving some of their core, including uh, multiple-time All-Star Paul Millsap, Kyle Korver, and even Tabo Cephalosha. Uh, and then, you know, there's been some back and forth that Millsap wants to stay and, you know, maybe it's a ploy by the front office just to see what sort of interest there is. But if there's any teeth to this, this could be huge for Charlotte. Uh, Charlotte, I think, is right in line to be in the fourth seed in the East. Uh, Boston, Toronto and Cleveland are the best teams. We know that. Um, but if Atlanta you know, shakes it up and realizes they don't have a chance and they play to their future, uh, then this could be big for the Hornets. Um, more than likely, they'll trade Millsap to the Eastern, uh, out of the Eastern Conference to the West. We've already seen them try to go with the youth mo- movement by bringing in, um, you know, Dennis Schroeder and shipping out Jeff Teague. Al Hortford left last season for nothing. Uh, so maybe, maybe the Hawks say, hey, we, we can't let another one of our stars go away for nothing. Let's go ahead and trade Millsap and and, uh, get some pieces for him by the deadline. So this could have far-reaching effects if there's any teeth to this. We'll see what the Hawks do, and that'll certainly be a good thing for the Hornets if they decide to blow up their core. That was your Fast Five. Let's move on to our game recap segment where we look at the last two games for the Hornets since our most recent podcast. Uh, The Charlotte Hornets were defeated uh, by the Chicago Bulls, as we mentioned on Monday night. Uh, Last night, the Hornets defeated uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder uh, and had a really great win against a a good team and and probably the MVP candidate in Russell Westbrook. And so we were happy to sit down with our friend Brian Boone to talk about the game recaps. Hornets recap. Brian, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, man. Oh, thank you for letting me be here, man. Uh, Brian, you and I have been talking, and and Coach Clifford mentioned it after the game, that uh, fourth quarter defense is the key um, to the victory tonight. And you and I think the the key to the loss on uh, to, to the Bulls on Monday night. What was kind of the difference that you saw between the Bulls game and the Thunder game in terms of the fourth quarter defense? The Bulls game, you can see everybody's kind of being soft. I mean, in the Bulls game, MKG had a lot of foul trouble. Obviously, tonight in the Thunder game, he stood out there the entire time. And you could see just more intensity, especially from somebody like Batoon being all over the floor and exerting more energy. Yeah, and uh, you know Clifford. Clifford has talked about it. This team is not offensively talented enough to uh, to win these these games where you know teams teams are putting up one twenty or more. Um, you know, I think uh, the Cavs put up uh, one twenty one. Uh, Bulls put up one eighteen. Uh, the Hornets they, they just don't have the firepower. They have to play a fourth quarter defense. And tonight you had two guys uh, in the Thunder. Uh, Stephen Adams is a beast. Um, he he's a big, strong guy, and and Ennis Canner is as well. Uh, and the Hornets, um, they just don't have great rebounders, and so they have to rebound as a team uh, and and kind of do the volleyball rebounds, you know, where they tap it out to uh, their guys. Um, what 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 do you think is going to be the key for them going forward? Um, is is it hustle? Is it intensity um, to to rebound and to defend uh, when it matters the most in crunch time? It's definitely hustle and intensity. I think one of the biggest parts is going to be having Cody back. I know you said it before. We're zero and four without Cody here. 
with having him, it just helps a lot having him running around the rim down there. Against the Bulls, I mean, Roy had zero rebounds, and when you're seven foot tall and you have zero rebounds, it's just going to be a good night defensively. Yeah, um, I want to move away from the team defense for a second and talk about individual defense, if, if that's cool with you. Uh, MKG, um, I thought, did a fantastic job on uh, Westbrook tonight. I mean, Westbrook is, you know, the, the broadcast guys talked about it. Um, he still has a great stat line, yeah, you know, uh, uh, triple-double, near-triple-double, 33 points, uh, 15 rebounds, 8 assists. But it was a very inefficient, uh, you know, stat line, and MKG made him work for every single uh, bucket that he got. He was um, 10 for 31 from the field, 2 for 12 uh, from three-point range. He got a lot of his points from the free-throw line. What did you think of MKG's defense in Westbrook tonight? Yeah, MKG started off great. I think in the first quarter, Russ had four points. One was off a fast break. The other was on Nick Batoon, none of it on MKG. I think he played Russ great. I think, yeah, like you said, Russ was 10 of 31. I mean, it's very, very inefficient, but we all know Russ. He's very athletic. He's going to get his numbers no matter who's guarding him. And to see MKG step up like that, I think that was huge for him and huge for the Hornets moving on. Yeah, I think they really frustrated him in the first half, and he got he got kind of the um, the vine worthy uh, you know technical <laughs> foul by throw, throwing the ball at the ref. Um, you know, I, I I don't know how that's going to go forward, um, but but specifically with this game versus the Bulls game, um, MKG got uh, I don't know if it was on Butler, but he fouled out of that game, and and Butler kind of just did whatever he wanted from that point forward. Um, but he he is so important for this team. Uh, defending uh Kim, Kimba just can't guard a guy like Westbrook and, and to have a bigger stronger guy a quicker guy on him like Westbrook uh, or like MKG uh, on Westbrook tonight was was huge for this team um I just want to move to the offensive end uh in these two games one guy who I've noticed um who's really picked it up is Batum what did you see from Batum tonight in his scoring and his aggressiveness what was your take on him it seemed like in the first half he does what he always does he's around there getting a couple points Love what he brought out in the third quarter, you know, hitting a couple of threes. He's really got to the basket tonight, showing what he can really do. I mean, he has such a bigger body than most shooting guards do in this league. And I think he can honestly do that every single night as long as he wants to bring that. Yeah, he um, he's really – I think he's been more aggressive lately and, and you can see it in, in, in his stats and in his game logs. Like if you're, if you're just looking at box score, but if you're watching the games too, he's playing much more efficient as well. Um, in, in the last, uh, my, as my computer loads, uh, since December 14th, he's, he's had double digits or 20 points or more in, in almost every game he's played 23 points, 20, 24, 20, uh, 19, 28, you know, he's, he's been hot and, and the Hornets are going to need his offense to go anywhere. Um, tonight you, you, you mentioned it earlier. Uh, what do you think of the bench production tonight? Uh, they, they got some good minutes from the guys off the bench. Yeah, I think tonight we had 50 bench points. I mean, I love the way Jeremy Lamb comes in the first quarter, sparks the offense, especially when, because Clifford seems like he likes to take Kimba out around the two-minute mark in the first quarter, rest him up, getting ready for the end of the second quarter. And Lamb comes in there, and he gives us a spark on offense. I really loved what Frank did in the first half. I think he had, what, 17 points. I mean, he just really showed up to play tonight, and he was banging with the guys down low, being really physical, and it's different. I really like to see that from Frank. Yeah, and, um, you know, you, you – 
you and I were talking, and this is the Frank Kaminsky I think we all hope and imagine, and maybe the the front office thought he could be when they drafted this guy. Um, uh, he's he was hitting the three point shot tonight, and, and that forces the defense to come out hard on him. And then he's skilled enough to attack. Uh, you and I were talking back and forth that they've they've got to hit him in the post when uh, teams go small on him. Um, just sort of seed all three levels of his offensive game. Um, do you think? I, I know it's it's just one game. Do you think this is something he can sustain? Is is it because uh, he's so streaky? He'll play great one game and then he'll be kind of all over the place the next. Um, is is this a good sign um, that that's hopefully here to stay, or, or do you think it was just one good night? I personally definitely think it's a good sign to see. I think he can do this every single night, especially the way Marvin playing. Uh, I like the way he plays his defense. He's just Marvin's really, really streaky right now. He had that one good three to end the first half. But other than that, he's just not the same player he was last year. And maybe that's an opportunity for Frank to step in and say, hey, I'm here. I can knock down these shots. I can play the pick and roll. I can post up the bigger man down low and bring what he can. Yeah, I really think um, the broadcast team did a good job of talking about it. That uh, he he wasn't afraid to bang around tonight with uh, with Canner and with uh, and and with. Um uh, Steven Adams. Uh, he also had to do that in the Bulls game with Taj Gibson and, and uh, Robin Lopez. Those those are physical players. Um, he, he's going to have to. You, know, you talked about him bulking up. Um, just moving this forward a little bit. The Hornets are. Uh, they've got a cu- tough schedule coming up. Um, they're starting to uh, go on a road trip here. The next uh, five games, I believe, are on the road. They go to Detroit tomorrow night against um, Andre Drummond, uh, and then they go to the Spurs, to the Rockets, um, then Philly, and then Boston. What What do you think is going to be the key for them in the next? five games, uh, all five of them being on the road against some good teams. I think Dale said it best tonight, starting hot and ending hot. We always seem to be uh, do well in the third quarter. The first quarter and the fourth quarter are always big, big components for us. Uh, defensively, I hope we can get Cody back soon if he passes all of his concussion protocols. They sounded like it seemed like it might be a week or so. You know, it's always tough playing against Drummond if you just have Roy and the occasional Spencer Halls. So we'll have to see how that goes. Yeah, um, I mean, you you definitely mentioned. I think I think Cody is not a a big stats guy, and, and we're going to talk about that in our interview uh, later in this podcast. But um, he he's so important to this team in terms of his hustle, his rebounding, uh, setting screens, and doing all the little things. They definitely need to get Cody back. Um, but they they've got a tough stretch coming up. Um, Brian, loved your stuff. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we hope to talk to you again, man. Oh, thank you, man. Finally, today, we are very excited to sit down with our featured guest, Yaron Weitzman. Yaron is a featured writer and columnist for several publications. Uh, He is a contributor for Slam Magazine, SB Nation, uh, Bleacher Report, and he is a beat writer for the New York Knicks. Uh, And recently, he spent some time uh, with the team and interviewed uh, Cody Zeller, uh, Coach Clifford, and Kimball Walker uh, to contribute to this article that he has written entirely on Cody Zeller. So it was our privilege to welcome in Yaron Weitzman. Yaron, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. Hey, uh, Yaron, my, my first and I guess my most obvious question is why Cody Zeller? You know, unless you're a, uh, I guess, a, a hardcore Hornets fan like I am and hopefully most of my audience is, he's not exactly someone the majority of the media is going to talk about. What, what drew your interest to somebody like a Cody Zeller? 
So there are a few things. One, I find just I'm, I'm always interested in the, uh, I guess we'll call it the intricacies of the game. It's kind of beneath the surface. And I love the stars also. And I guess like if we're thinking about the Hornets, everyone knows Kemba Walker is good. But, you know, there are, five, there are four other guys on the court. And basketball, the way the game works is everyone's working together. So I'm just always interested in how that stuff is playing out. Um, as for, for Zeller, I was just looking, you know, the NBA has, and this is in the article, the NBA has all these cool advanced stats that they have now, and they started keeping a new one, screen assist, which is basically like how many points somebody creates by setting screens. And Zeller is at the top of it. Uh, he, I don't know where he's at, at, where he's at now, but he was like at five per game, which was top five, even though he was only playing about 20-something minutes a game. Uh, so I thought that was interesting, just how and why a guy like Cody Zeller becomes a great screener, especially a guy like Zeller, who, you know, when you think of screening, you think of kind of the little things guys, maybe bruisers. Zeller came up as an athletic scorer. You don't think of him as a guy who, I don't think he was setting many screens growing up. That's the kind of way I looked at right. it. So I think that would be an interesting uh, thing to dive into. Yeah, and the article we're referring to is uh, it's called How Cody Zeller Mastered the NBA's Most Popular Play, again, with your own Weitzman of Bleacher Report. Yeah, I mean, you, you totally mentioned it. I think the key the key concept is Cody, devel- Cody Zeller's development with Kimba Walker and how mm-hmm. it, Cody's not what you would call a creator on his own. He, he gets his production from how others create for him or how he can create with them. And, and he and Kimba have really developed a good chemistry and they've become a good duo. Can you talk about how those two have played together and how he has become effective in the pick and roll? Yeah, it was cool. So then what I mean, what I like to do sometimes, and this is, I guess it's my reporting style, is like I'll see something that I find interesting and I'll just, I mean, that's the blessing of a credential and you'll go ask people about it. And if I find that players and coaches are really open, if you go to them and say, hey, I noticed this, can you explain this to me? So in terms of Zeller, I went, you know, I went to a practice, I spoke to him and Clifford and Kemba Walker. And like, it's funny, you see how, how, how much thought goes into this stuff. Like when we think about a pick, we think about, you said a pick, but Clifford, the first thing he says is that Zeller has gotten really good. They want to force the guy to go over the pick, force the opponent to go over the pick. And that creates a four on three offense because that's kind of triggers the whole offense that sets the defense into rotation. And Cody apparently has become come great at that. And I asked him about that and he starts breaking it down like there's a science to it where he's getting up and he's showing me how he shifts his shoulders and his legs to kind of make sure the guy has to go over the pick. And he's gotten really good at that. The other thing that's interesting and where this is what Clifford brought up. I didn't I mentioned this in the article, I believe I didn't harp on it is that he's a really good passer and he's gotten really good at swinging the ball to the weak side so you know if you set a pick um let's say cody comes and sets a pick for kemba they get two guys on the ball there um when cody zeller starts rolling a third guy from the weak side kind of comes that helps out and that's where you get your four and three opportunity and the thing that like we see with the warriors with Draymond green he's really good at that just being in that four and three and kind of creating hitting me running the point kind of in that situation and hitting open guys and Clifford said how Zeller's gotten really good at swinging the ball to the opposite side and he's also got all those wacky floaters and he gets the line but it's just it's it back to the original point it's just it's just interesting when these guys kind of find a niche for themselves in the league and a way to really thrive right and I, and I think you did an excellent job of highlighting this aspect to just who Cody Zeller is uh, the, when the Hornets drafted him fourth overall in 2013 I, like a lot of Hornets fans I think we're really frustrated with that pick because mm-hmm. you, you see you see his he has almost no upside I, I guess when he was coming into the league he's he's right. an athletic seven footer but he's got no 
no go-to offense. He's not really a, a floor spacer. He's not really a post guy. Um, you know, he, he's not really a rim protector. Uh, and and you, I think you've done a really good job of talking about how he just kind of knows who he is, you know, and, and he knows what his strengths are. And he's managed to work around his weaknesses to to become very good you know, he's never going to be a big stats guy or an all-star more than likely, but he's become very effective in his role. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, uh, as a week or two ago, I don't know if the numbers have changed. I think he was the top net rating on the team or maybe number two right behind Kemba. I forget now, but I like in terms of they're so much better with him on the floor than with him as opposed to when he sits. And it's, I'm always interested in terms of the guys like that. Like, Yeah, Zeller, he will never be, what, what pick was he taking? Three, four, what was he overall? Yeah, number four. Number four. So he's never going to be what you what you expect as a number four pick. But it's kind of like that that happened already. It's about so as a fan and as a organization, it's about separating that expectation and kind of working with what you have. And can like the in the NBA, not everyone can be not everyone can be really good with the ball. Like I cover the Knicks, and I was just writing about this guy right now, Courtney Lee. What and you you guys are familiar with him too. He's yeah, so good. He's so good because he doesn't necessarily need the ball in his hands to be effective. But so he's effective when he does get the ball a few times. But he also does stuff whether spacing, defense, other things. And you need guys like that in the league to be a really good team. And Zeller, it's interesting. It's I, I'm think as I'm talking, I'm thinking about it more. I'd be curious to see how many we'll say top five picks go back and become really good. And I'm using role players in quotes, but I mean role player in a complimentary way, but, and become really good in that role. It's not, it's not something you see very frequently and I find it interesting. Yeah, you heart back to his uh, to his college days and how he was, you know, he was Mr. Basketball in Indiana. He kind of he kind of dominated on the college level in a lot of ways. But uh, I think there's an interesting quote where you say in college, this is Zeller speaking, I could score off my athletic ability. But in the NBA, everyone is of the same as me, if not more athletic is basically what he says. And and you have to find different ways to score. Um, Can can you talk about again, you know, just sort of how he uh, he just looking at his frame, he's gotten a lot stronger. Um, what, what is he doing to overcome some of those things that he just doesn't have that he's never going to be, if that makes any sense? Yeah. First of all, he's got like those funky little floaters and finishes and he's got good footwork. Like it's like, like you said, when you're Mr. Indiana, like we've like, you can imagine what that is like. And even in college, he was, he was a top guy and a top pick and a top prospect and you come just bigger, stronger, faster. You know, that's, that's the, uh, Bigger, stronger, faster than everyone, and more talented. Or I think the lie I wrote this line. I'm gonna repeat it because I was kind of proud of it. But bigger than everyone, as talented as him, and more talented, and everyone as big as him. You know, so like in the NBA, that's certainly not the case. This is the best of the best of the best. So it's kind of learning to adapt. And I think what's cool is it starts with the screen in terms of helping spring other guys free, but that also gets him open and understanding that by giving himself up for somebody else, that's how you get an opening. You get two guys on Kemba and Cody rolling to the hoop and a clear lane and the guy coming over to guard him, he's going to be smaller and Cody can kind of just float the ball over him or maybe gulp strong and finish over him. The foul, He's got to get his foul shooting in order. That's going to be a bit of a problem. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's just learning, developing. I know they have Patrick Ewing there and I'm sure he's working a lot with him and just kind of learning and developing how to score in different ways. Yeah. Something I'm interested in, I guess, from the time that you spent with him is he just looks more confident. You know, he, I, th- I think the mentality is, is a big part of the game for a player who is limited. Like he is when his, his first couple of years, um, I think in 13 and 14, he was not finishing well at the rim. He, he just looked indecisive and, um, you know, almost just trying to figure it out the deer in the headlights, if that makes any sense. Yeah. But, 
but since then, you know, last year and specifically this year, it, it just looks like he was confident. Did did you feel that talking to him? Did you did you kind of feel like he 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 knew his place now in the offense and in the league? If if that makes a connection. Yeah, and first, as we're talking, I looked this up. So, like in year one and two, he was fifty seven percent at the rim. Uh, last year, he was up to sixty four. This year, he's up to sixty six. So it just kind of shows you. I mean, that's like that's tangible improvement right there. Um, it just and just just talking about the the confidence. I don't want to say like it, I didn't spend two days with him. You know, what I mean, I spent a little bit with right. him. I'm always wary of kind of reading guys' mentalities, but just like I think, and that's why I focus on the pick and roll. That's the most like that's the most common play, and I think that's a great example about how he was so he was so confident in how. If you're asking about confidence, he was so sure about how to run the pick and roll and how effect, how to be effective and how important, maybe this is a better way to phrase it, how important he was to the offense because he was an important person in that pick and roll. Um, that's kind of where that, it's like being sure of your role and being, and knowing that you are valued and by knowing you're valued, that kind of creates more confidence and allows you to thrive. Right. Absolutely. And I, I guess this is just, I'm, I'm just asking as a fan, you know, and, and I know you cover other teams and you probably don't spend a ton of time watching the Hornets uh, like I do. Uh, <laughs> just just from your observation of him, you know, he's he's 24 years old. He's he's not playing a ton of minutes, but he's averaging double digits uh, in points and his rebounds are up. You know, we've talked about how he's been more efficient. Um, people always say it takes big guys longer to develop in the league. Uh, what, what do you think is a realistic ceiling for him? Is, is he a, is he a quality starter? Is he a, is he a high level starter? He's improved every single year. So I guess big picture, how good do you think he could be in his prime? If, 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 if you could predict that sort of thing. Yeah, so I would say, well, a couple of things. One, in terms of waiting, like I think the Hornets are actually a really good example of this. I mean, Kemba's uh, example A, right? Why it's, maybe you don't want to give up on guys right away or high draft picks right away or assume that they are what they are after a year or two or three. Um, and the Hornets by nature of their market, they're never going to, they're not going to do that. They're, they're unlikely to do that because if you have high talented guys, you can't be giving up on them quickly just because they don't look good. You have to, you're not signing many free agents. Um, so patience is definitely valued there and it's going to keep coming as for Zeller. I mean, this is it. I'll, I'll say it like this. I don't, the games aren't necessarily um, so comparable, but like a Tristan Thompson type role player, like why not? Like why can't that be him? Um, right. I'm not saying they're exactly the same player because they're not, but that that's that's the role that that would be the type of role he can play, and I don't see why not. He's got the talent. He's it's I guess you want to see he's got to be able to um, for a guy like him. If you're not if you're a four man and you're not stretching the floor, you either have to be really good at block protecting the rim and blocking shots or able to switch out and guard, you know, point guards or shooting guards and switch on the perimeter in today's NBA. Um, he, he blocks a few shots. He's not great there. I would say the foot speed and learning how to guard, how to defend, let's say smaller threes or switch onto point guards in a pick and roll. Um, I would say that would be the key in terms of him being able to stay on the floor in crunch time minutes. But numbers don't lie right now. Right now, the Hornets are much better with him on the floor than without him. It's no accident, no coincidence. And, yeah, I don't see why why he can't be a legit NBA starter. Well, Yaron, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Again, that's uh, Yaron Weitzman with Bleacher Report. You can follow Yaron on Twitter at Yaron Weitzman. And uh, we just thank you again so much for your time. I greatly appreciate you. My pleasure. Thanks for uh, having me and checking the article out. Daily Dumpster Fire. 
The Daily Dumpster Fire is where we talk about the most ridiculous item in sports. And today we're going to do a little crossover into the NFL. Uh, Unfortunately for me, and if you're a Panthers fan like I am, uh, the Panthers have nothing to play for. They're getting ready for the draft. But uh, this time of year is usually a good one for football fans. It's uh, playoff time, and this weekend is, is maybe one of the best weekends in sports with Wild Card Weekend. However, this year could be the worst weekend of football I can possibly remember. Uh, Listen to these teams in the AFC alone at quarterback. Lots of injuries, obviously. Tom Brady, who... I am not a Tom Brady fan or the Patriots. I wouldn't call myself a hater, but I'm just ready for someone else, right? But Brady, in terms of challenging him in the AFC, he's got Roethlisberger, obviously. Alex Smith, eh, okay, Alex Smith. But then uh, the Raiders are on their third-string quarterback, Connor Cook, Brock Osweiler for the Texans, and then Matt Moore for the Miami Dolphins. That's it. That's that's all Brady has to go through. Roethlisberger is his only competition to get to the Super Bowl. Uh, there's there's not one of these four games this weekend. Oakland uh, versus Texans, uh, the Lions, Seahawks, Miami, Pittsburgh. I, I think the only interesting game on Wild Card Weekend is the last one. It's the Giants against the Packers, uh, just because of the two quarterbacks. I, I think that is the only game that could be compelling. I expect all of the other games to be. Um, either boring or blowouts. So that's your daily dumpster fire, worst item in sports. What's usually a great weekend and wildcard weekend is sounds like it's going to be pretty disappointing. That's going to do it for today's episode of Hoops from the Hive. Thank you so much for joining us. We'd like to thank our guests today, Brian Boone, as we hear one of our game recaps and also our featured interview guest, Jerome Weitzman. Hey, we hope that you have a great weekend of enjoying sports and football, watching the Hornets. Uh, we hope to see you next week. Thank you for listening to Hoops from the Hive. Again, my name is Dan Dodson. Have a great day, everybody.